good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6901. And we are live and in person this morning. That's so right. We are just itching to get a question or two answered. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. I mean, it always makes the show interesting. We always love hearing from listeners all around the town, all around the country. Even all around the world if there you got you go. the... The world code to get it, to that's us. That's right. you got the moxie to do it, <laughs> <laughs> go ahead and give us a call. 291-6901. That'll get you right up to us. Put you at the top of the list. And should you happen to think of something after we go off the air today or maybe next week, you can always get your questions answered by going to our website, which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it in. There you go. Couldn't be any easier than that. And I've got an email here from a gentleman that's not a technical question per se. Okay. But I think it makes a good point. I think it was a really good question. Still automotive related. Absolutely. This is a gentleman named Mark who lives in Prairieville, which okay. is a little town just south of Baton Rouge. Right. Kind of southeast, East, actually. Yeah. And Mark said that he saw in the headlines where 18 automakers had written a letter to President Trump asking him to repeal the fuel mileage regulations that were passed. And that is, in case you're not aware, they passed regulations where by 2025, the average car had to get 54.5 miles per gallon. And the standard now is 24.5? Well, the average for 2015 is 24.8. Okay. That's across the board what cars are getting right now. Right now. And that does sound great. You know, hey, get a car that can get 54.4 miles a gallon. Until you really kind of start looking a little deeper into it. Right. And, of course, the biggest thing, or the first thing I looked at, I put a pencil to it because I'm a stat head, and if you could go from 24.8 to 50-plus miles per gallon at the average cost of fuel, which is $2.31 a gallon right now, it would save people about $564 a year in fuel. Okay. Which is really good. Right. But what you got to remember is the technology required to attain that would probably almost double the price of a car. So now your $40,000 vehicle is going to go to $80,000 $80, average, and it would probably cut the service life roughly in half. Okay. And instead of getting 150,000 miles, you'd probably effectively get about 75,000 just because of all the technologies necessary. So you come to a point where you have to look at the overall cost rather than just, hey, this sounds good. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And we're going to talk some more about that. Let's catch a few of our phone calls here. We've got Benny online. Good morning, Benny. Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Yes, yes sir. sir. Yes, sir. I've got a 2002 Acura. Mm -hmm. having a little problem with it. When I'm running, it, it just runs a little rough. I can come up to a red light, sit there for a minute or so. All of a sudden, it'll run just as smooth as can be. Or if I put it in a neutral, it will run as smooth. Okay. It's, it's not 24 hours a day now. It's just periodically. Right. Kind of an intermittent thing. I'm going to tell you, Benny, the first thing I would look for and this is kind of a way you can check it with the car sitting at idle you know in park with you know, your foot on the brake see put it into drive and see if it gets worse and if it does shift to reverse and see if it gets worse or better okay. and if shifting gear back or forth tends to make it better the most common thing and this is peculiar to the Acura, would probably be one or more of the engine mounts is going bad and what happens, the, the engine just vibrates. That's just what engines do. But right. what Acura does, they set it on these four big rubber blocks that absorb all that so you don't feel it. 
Now, over the years, that rubber starts to deteriorate, and what can happen is that if the motor settles down in a certain position, the metal backings will start to touch, and then it's going to pass through because you have a, a transfer path, and it's going to really start to shake the car. And like I said, another way to test it, if you're kind of handy, is you can put it in your know, when it's doing it and take like a little uh, floor jack or something with a block of wood, put it on the oil pan, and just gently lift the engine slightly. And if the vibration okay. immediately goes away, then that's what you're into. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if it doesn't, there's lots of other things that could possibly be. But just do that one little test, and that's going to tell you. Now, if lifting the engine slightly or shifting gears back and forth makes absolutely no difference at all, then that's probably not it. It's probably something else. It could be something like idle air valve could be sticking, you know, getting old and just not picking up speed of the engine fast enough. Like I said, if you do that test and that does not affect the, the vibration at all or the roughness at all, then watch the tachometer when you put it in gear or turn the air conditioner on and off and see if it immediately picks up the speed. And right. if it kind of drops down to a lower level and starts to shake, then you're more likely in something in the idle circuit. Okay. All righty. Sounds good. Thank you very much. All I right, appreciate the time and information. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. And we've got Blake online. Good morning, Blake. Uh, yes, sir. I, thanks for putting on this show. I, I'm uh, listening from Kansas City, and I just love what you do. Oh, great. Well, thank thank you. you. My question is, I'm, I'm looking at uh, like a 2008 to 2012 Toyota Avalon or Sienna. Sorry, I'm drawing a blank here on the, on the radio. But I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, looking like Highlander, for a vehicle. Maybe. The Highlander, yes, mm -hmm. sir. Looking for a tow vehicle. They all say look for heavy-duty radiators. Mm -hmm. What am I looking for? Are there more cores? What do I look for when I'm looking for that radiator? What are you planning on towing with it, Blake? Nothing real heavy. Probably, you know, 2,000, maybe 3,000 pounds max. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at 2,000 to 3,000 pounds, you'd probably be okay with just about anything out there. Okay. Even a standard package would handle that. Now, if you wanted something bigger, you can check with the VIN number on the vehicle. If you call a Toyota dealer parts department and just ask them the options, give them the VIN number, they can tell you what options the vehicle came equipped with. And they okay. can tell you if you've got heavy-duty cooling. If you got – some of them have an oil cooler on them, which helps a lot. Some of them have transmission coolers. So, I mean, it's certainly – since you're buying anyway and you got your choice, because those kinds of options usually don't increase the resale value of the car a great deal. You know, most mm -hmm. people don't even know they're on there. So, I mean, yeah. if you got time and you can look around a little bit, you just soon get them. It's certainly not going to hurt anything to have them. Yes, sir. So that's the way I would go about doing it. And, in fact, if you can get a really smart parts guy on the phone, he may be able to tell you what in the VIN number signifies that. Sometimes okay. there's a specific character, like maybe the eighth digit will be a one or a four or whatever it is. Sometimes not. Sometimes you just have to look it up, and it goes to the bill file and says, yeah, it was equipped with that. But you just have to get someone who's familiar with the VIN number system on them. Toyota uses a very nice type of identifications. If you look on the door tag inside the, the door frame, they list out the transmission size. They list out the, the paint, the color. And if I'm not mistaken, that tow package may, uh, be, on may be on there. Or the only option tag. Oh, on the only door. option, yeah. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Okay, thank you very much. All right. Again, love what you do. Oh, thank thank you. you, Blake. Thanks for calling, man. Yeah, bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, we would love to have you. And back to our phone lines. Oops, I'm sorry, oh. Robert, I cut you off. Call right back. I'll put you straight to the top of the list. I accidentally hit the wrong button. You know, I get two weeks <laughs> off, I start pushing the wrong buttons again. Let's go back to the phone lines with Dave. Good morning, Dave. 
Hey, good morning, Louis. Hey, man. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. You bet. I have a 2000 Honda Accord, and the check engine light came on the other day, and I put my scan tool on it, mm-hmm. and it's saying torque converter, clutch, open circuit. Okay. And I'm just wondering what the heck could that be? Could be a number of different things, Dave. You'd have to do a little bit of detective work. There's going to be like a flow chart if you go to service data that'll tell you the things to check. One of the more common things is the solenoid that controls the pressure going to the torque converter to release it. And there's a torque converter that locks itself automatically. And it's got like a spring and stuff in there that locks it up. And the way they keep it from being locked up is it applies pressure to the converter, which releases it. So what that circuit code means is that something in that circuit has an open. It could be the solenoid. It could be the wires going to the solenoid. I mean, it could yeah. be something like a brake light switch. I mean, it could be a lot of stuff. So it's probably going to be above the head of most do-it-yourselfers, but it's a relatively easy job for a shop that's properly equipped. So the diagnostic time on that would probably be about an hour to figure out what's going on. Yes, I mean, frankly, you'd be probably better off to pay someone to diagnose it for you, even if you want to do the repair yourself. Right, now, right. The, the solenoids on a Honda are generally on the outside of the transmission. And they're very, very easy to change. So that's one good thing about it. Most cars are up inside. You have to drop the pan. Sometimes you have to drop the valve body. But on the Hondas, most of the solenoids are right up on top of the transmission. So if it is a solenoid, or even if it's a wire, it'd be a relatively easy fix. But you could throw a lot of money at maybes. I mean, yeah. you could, if you're pretty handy, you could go in, figure out, there's, there's three solenoids on top. I think two are shift I solenoids. Saw, yes, I, I saw all three of them. I right. Wondering, could I? You, you could try oming them out and see if you got an open on one of them. They should uh-huh. reach some amount of resistance, you know, and I don't know the exact amount. It's really not pertinent. If it's a dead short or if it's wide open, you know, obviously it's bad. And that's the case, then you might go ahead and change it. But I believe those songs are a bit pricey. I'm thinking they're around $100 a piece. So it Look, might. Could I, take a, uh, could I take a jumper wire and, and put uh, power to it and grab no, it? No, I wouldn't no. do that because a lot of that is not an off-on circuit. It's a pulse-width modulated circuit. Uh-huh. And if you jump 12 volts to it, you may burn it out if, if it is good. Or you may burn the computer out that's driving it. See, a lot of that stuff uh-huh. is not a 12-volt off-on. It's a pulse-width modulated square wave yes, that, that operates it. So, I mean, the best thing, if you got a Honda scan tool, you can go in, drive the car, actuate it, and you can watch and see if it's actuating. You can see what's going on. You can hook up some little leads to it, put a scope on it, and read when it opens and closes, see if it's getting a signal to it. I mean, these are the things a shop can bring to the mix that the average do-it-yourself is not going to be able to. Yes, sir. Now, if the transmission shifts, fine. I'm not having any Yeah, it's not going to be a shift issue. It's going to be a release of the torque converter issue. And what it's saying is an open circuit. What it may start doing is when you come to a stop, the car may die on you. Because it's not releasing Because it's not fully releasing. And, again, it may not be doing that right now, but it's a problem here, and it can occur. Well, it sounds like I might better bring it to you. Yeah, it would probably be be money well spent because we can go to it pretty fast. And and then even, like, say – you care to do the repair yourself, I can tell you where exactly what it is, and that way you're not wasting any uh, money. Look, if, I, if I bring it to you, no, nah, you, you fix it. <laughs> <laughs> not a problem. Well, listen, thank you so much for your help, and I'll, I'll be seeing you soon. Sounds great, man. Thank you. Thank you. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. All right, let's see. we got time to take a couple of calls, or we need to take a break? Yeah, we got to take a quick little right. break. Hey, Edward, Randall, Vic, guys, hold on. We'll be straight up after the break. Plan to motor west. 
Man, I had a bad dream the other night. Oh, me too. I was abducted by aliens, but they weren't little green men. They looked more like a cross between a chicken and a gremlin. Like the 80s movie? Yeah, so they take me up to this spaceship and onto this theater stage, and in the audience sits all the cats of my ex-girlfriends, and they're just sitting there judging me. Even Mr. Piddles, who I actually kind of liked. Oh, uh, what was your dream? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco and my car broke down. Now that's scary. Hey, at Agco Automotive, we know it's hard to keep up with maintenance. What do I do at 15,000 miles? What do I do at 75? We recommend an annual general inspection. Just pick a month and bring in the vehicle. We'll give it the once over and can recommend any maintenance you may need before something causes bigger problems down the road. So did they take you to their leader? No, they made me watch a cat video reenactment of Steel Magnolias. It was horrible. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hatred Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. We're going to go to our lines. We've got Edward's been patiently holding. Good morning, Edward. Hey, good morning, fellas. Listen, I got a quick question concerning my vehicle. It's a 2016 GT. Mm-hmm. That would be a Mustang, not a real one. Okay. Uh, and what I'm I'm contemplating about putting on a oil separator. Okay. Now, and, and I'm I, I know it's a relatively inexpensive mod, mm-hmm. but what is the purpose of it, and what would the gains be? I don't think you'd really gain anything much, Edward. I mean, if Ford felt they needed that they would have engineered it on there what that does from what i understand it's like a canister sort of thing and it separates some of the moisture out i mean you could achieve the same thing by just changing the oil a little bit more often with absolutely no risk see the problem that those things bring is that there's some lines going to it now every part you add there's a potential for a leak there's a potential for losing pressure there's a potential for it going bad something bouncing up off the road hitting it i mean Nothing that you gain is without any kind of risk. To me, the the risk reward is just not there. I just change my oil a little more often, and you'll be sure you use a synthetic blend oil in it. And, I mean, I I just don't know anyone who's really having a problem with that other than the ones who are trying to push their oil changes out eight 9,000 miles. Uh, no, 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 no. I mean, it goes in underneath the scheduled maintenance with mm-hmm. Ford. Mm-hmm. I just I, I like how Ford leaves a lot of horsepower on the table. Mm-hmm. Because I know, like, with cold air intake and, you know, a couple of tunes, right. you can increase that, you know, by 50 horsepower. Well, yeah, it does. I'm not quite sure whether or not that oil separator you're not gonna gain. Any- no, you're not going to gain any horsepower out of it. I mean, basically, Ford, it, like every automaker, has different criteria they have to meet. And horsepower sells cars, so obviously that's one of them. But they also have EPA breathing down their neck. And if they do this and a certain emission goes up a little bit one way or the other, then they've got big problems there. So they have to choose to comply with the laws, even though maybe it costs some horsepower. All right. Well, that sounds like a great answer. Like I said, I knew it was inexpensive, and uh-huh. I wanted to do a crawfish ball, so I was kind of up in the air on which one I wanted to do. I go with the crawfish ball. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fellas. All right. Good afternoon. All right, Thanks, man. Bye-bye. I two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number if you want to be part of the automotive hour. Let's see, we've got Randall's been patient. Hold on, good morning, Randall. Good morning, sir. How y'all doing? Doing, doing wonderful, good. sir. Doing great. I have an O two Ford diesel uh, one ton, and in the tow haul mode, the transmission is shifting straight, uh, going up, you know, up shifting. Mm-hmm. But there is no transmission braking in okay. the tow haul mode. Now, is that as simple as changing the valve? 
child body, or am I looking at something worse than that? Well, it just depends. When you say there's no breaking, you just let off as like at neutrals. Right, and there's just no coast. engine braking that the tow haul is supposed to provide. I would have to talk to Josh, our transmission guy, to know exactly how that works. That could be as simple as a valve sticking in the transmission or maybe even a solenoid in the transmission. I know they've had a handful of problems with that transmission. Uh, that's a 7.3 liter, isn't it? Right. In the O2. They had a great, great engine. But the transmission is probably a 4R100 uh, W, I believe. Little bit weak for that engine when they went came out with the six zero liter, which was basically a trash engine. They also came out with a torque shift, which is a better yeah. transmission, <laughs> ironically. Yeah, but I mean, it's got a lot of miles on the trans 180, 190. Yeah, I mean, I would probably have someone put a pressure gauge on there. That's what you'd need to diagnose what's going on if it were. I mean, with 180,000 miles on that transmission, you're getting fairly close to the end of its life if, if you really towed anything with it. I mean, it might not be worth the, what it takes to repair it. You might wait till it goes out and then just go in when you rebuild it. It'll fix that. But then again, it could be something less uh, invasive of that. I tell you, if you want to send an email to my website, I'll ask Josh and see if he has more thoughts on it. Like I said, it's not in my strong suit. But it could definitely be one of the solenoids in the valve body, which would be a relatively easy fix. I mean, you drop the pan and it's right there. Change the valve body, yeah. Yeah, and, and I wouldn't change the whole valve body because that's going to be a pretty, I mean, a, a rebuilt valve body is probably eight, 900 bucks. Not, I think that's a couple of hundred on that transmission. Uh, I don't know. Just watch where you're getting it from because yeah. there's a lot of junk on the market. You may end up with way more problems than you got now because I know the ones we buy, they're probably an eight, $900 range for a valve body with solenoids. Now, you may be talking about a solenoid pack. That's a couple of hundred dollars. Yeah. Which does bolt to the valve body. Okay. But, again, it may not be that. So I wouldn't want to just throw a couple hundred bucks away, you know, and, and certainly not a couple a thousand dollars away and possibly create another problem. You know, if, right. if the transmission is pretty weak anyway and you go in there and start tinkering around with it, you may create another problem. So I'd probably just check and see what's going on first and then evaluate if it's worth going after. Okay. Thank All right. you very much. All right. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number, and we've got – You did it again. If I didn't do it again. Vic, if you call back, I swear to God, I'll put you right straight up the top of the list. I need to move this keyboard over a little bit closer to it. You think that's it? <laughs> I, well, that's good excuses <laughs> anyhow. Better than blame myself. There you go. <laughs> we go back to the phones with Rob. Good morning, Rob. Hey, good morning. Yes, sir. I have a have to take a look at it. I can't tell me off the top. I can't tell off the top of my head. I'm not that familiar with it, but I've uh, never what, seen one that just year wouldn't come it? off. What year was it's it? A to, it's a 2010. It's just got a little silver piece that kind of like a little piece of metal. It's like it goes around the hose. I don't know how long it stays on there. It's not like a radiator clamp that I've ever seen. You know? Some of those have a bolt with a torque head you have to take off because it they when they manufacture it, when it goes down the assembly line, the rotor won't stay on the hub, so they put a bolt in it just to keep it during the assembly, and that bolt seems to stay with it he was talking about the a, life of its car. Now, you talking about a radiator hose? or No, you're talking about a, a, a brake rotor. No, the radiator hose. Radiator hose. Oh, I'm, radiator. Sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. A lot of those have what they call a quick connect, connect yeah. and there's like a clip of some sort in there, and it just kind of it makes it easier on the assembly line than putting a clamp on it. Oh, I and, see. 
they have some of them have a special tool. Some of them you can take a screwdriver or something and get in there. But they have some kind of a means where it just clicks on. And it's like an O-ring in there that seals it. You're just going to have oh. to maybe get yeah. the new one in your hand, and you could probably look at the new one, and you'll be able to feel, figure out how the old one comes off. You'll okay. see there'll be some type of little clip, and it's like a like a wedge-shaped barb, and you know it slides on, it pushes the clip back, and then when it goes over the shoulder, then it locks on. So you have to pull those ears back to get it to come back off again. And they, they make a, a tool that some of those, you take the tool and you put it on the, the hub, and you slide it over. Yeah. And it unlocks those teeth, and then you can pull the hose off. Right. But I don't, I, I'm I just, not that familiar with that It's like everything else, what they're doing is they're trying to make it easier for them to build the vehicles. But they don't care right. about you. Yeah. <laughs> right. Having to work on or replace anything. Faster assembly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was not trying to steal with the hose. I was just trying to straighten out the radiator. It's just odd. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They, they, a lot of cars are going to that. Uh, I know a lot of the Nissans use that. Some of the Infinities use that. BMW's used it for years. Yeah, BMW had it for a long time. Had a lot, a lot of trouble with it leaking. Yeah. But if you get the new hose in your hand, you'll probably be able to look at it and tell better. Okay. All well, right. thank you. All right, man. Thanks a lot. All right, bye. Bye-bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number, and we've got Vic call back. Good morning, Vic. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. My wife and I were on a trip in a 2011 Ford Explorer. We turned on the air conditioner. After about 15 or 20 minutes, he started blowing hot air, and the airbag light came on. So we turned it off and turned it back on. Everything worked normal for another 15, 20 minutes. Started blowing hot air. Airbag light came on. We turned it off. Stopped at a Ford dealer in Mississippi. They couldn't find anything, so we continued our trip. Just left it off. Mm-hmm. Got any suggestions? Yeah, that's going to be. You're going to need to go into the airbag module and see what the code is, because it's going to it's going to log a code when it when the light comes on, and the code may be very nondescript, like it may be loss of communication. Now, what that means is that one of the other modules. Probably the HVAC module is going down and losing communication, and that's why the airbag light comes on because it can't see it anymore. It can't see that module. And it just depends on how the network is configured. You know, if it's one of the first modules in a network, it may knock everything there downstream off. But if it's like one of the last ones in the network, it may only knock the one next to it off. But that would be my suspicion, and it doesn't mean that, say, the HVAC module is bad. It could be what they call the actuator, is trying to achieve a certain position, can't do it, and is timing out, and when it times out, it shuts that module down. So it's just going to take some time to find. What would have to occur is you're going to have to put a scan tool on the vehicle, drive it until that situation occurs. When it occurs, then you'll be able to see the data stream because it's all what they call class 2 serial data. And it's all a pulse wave going over a network, so it's not anything you can look at or see or any of that. But most likely something is setting up a problem like an actuator not achieving a home position and shutting down a module, which is causing lack of communication, which is why the next module is throwing the light out. Okay. Well, would you suggest taking it to a dealer? And Yeah, I would never do that. Any qualified shop can do that work. I mean, we, oh, okay. we do that all the time. We've got every tool that a, that a Ford dealer would have as far as the cars we work on. Okay. And so does any other shop. Where are you calling from, Vic? Baton Rouge. Oh, you're in Baton Rouge. Yeah, yes, yeah. sir. There's a number of any good shop, any good qualified shop is going to have the tooling to check that. It's not a big issue. 
It's just you're going to have to be a little patient with them because they're going to have to drive it long enough for it to occur and then have equipment on it while it's occurring. But I I wouldn't let it go because what's going to happen is that one day – Probably in August when it's 105 degrees outside, it's going to shut down and won't come back on. Yeah. You know? yeah. All right. Okay. All righty. Well, thank you for your input. All right, Vic. Thanks, Bye-bye. man. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. Herb and James, if you guys hold on, you'll be straight up after this break. Phew. I had a bad dream last night. Girl, me too. I was out on a date with Matthew McConaughey. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. But literally, all he could say was, all right, all right, all right. Still, it's... In auto-tune. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Over and over and over. Oh, it was a nightmare. What about you? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at AGCO, which cost me thousands in repair. Now that's scary. AGCO Automotive's general inspection is the best way to make sure your car performs at its peak and you're not surprised by any major repairs. Bring your vehicle in once a year and we'll recommend any maintenance. We can even help decide if it's worth fixing or time for you to purchase another. My dream was scary, but yours was, uh, all wrong, all wrong, all wrong. <laughs> Okay, are you finished now? Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back, and thanks for spending your Saturday afternoon with us, or morning, morning. There you go. <laughs> it might be afternoon where you're at. Hey, give us a call, 291-6901. We'll be glad to try to help you out and put you right straight up to the top of the list, get your questions asked for you. Now, we've got Herb's been patiently holding. Good morning, Herb. Good morning. You was talking here a while back about people overloading their trucks with sheetrock and this, that, yeah. you know. Yes, sir. Well, it's done progressed on up now to flooring. So I, <laughs> I, I pulled a trailer for a lady whose husband was in the hospital to Baton Rouge, and they have some of these places that passing out rebuild products mm-hmm. for people. To, right, and, uh, because all anyhow, of them. Yeah, and uh, it was her trailer and uh, no brakes, which is tough. But anyhow, the man come walking down the aisle, and I said, what you looking for? And he said, i just checking your vehicle out here. And he said, I had a man here last week, and uh, he, I'll get, you don't want me to call the name of the truck, but it was a 1500 series. Right. And he, he said, I put a pallet of ceramic that looks like wood, uh-huh. flooring, uh-huh. Right. 2,600 pounds in the back of his truck. Wow. And then I put nine bags of uh, grout, which weigh 60 pounds a piece. Wow. And, and then he said, well, I want to get my paint, too. He said, I told him, man, you're you got enough in there. Yeah, you're dangerously overloaded. Yeah. Yeah, he, so he put seven five-gallon cans of latex paint in the back of his truck. Wow. <laughs> and he said, he started pulling out. He said, I turned to the next guy, and I heard a terrible crash. And he just as he was going out the gate, there's a little, it's like a curb, but uh-huh. you know, it's not, it's made to run over. Right. And he said, I heard a crash, and I looked over there, and the back end of his truck was on the ground. Oh, he, geez. he said he had some gear, not gears, he had bearings chunks of metal and grease yeah. all over the road. Yeah, probably wow. threw the dry shaft yeah. out of it. Yeah, broken it. down. Yeah, you know, there's mm. a limit to what they'll haul, and that limit is much lower than it was on trucks 20 years ago. But they're still using the same designation. Same designation. I mean, they, what they used to call a half-ton truck was probably closer to what we would call a three-quarter ton today. Yeah. They used to be over-designed. And, of course, money being what it is, if they can give you less and charge you the same price or charge even more, you've know, got the price of a truck up so high, most people can't afford them. So all they can do is cut content to make more money. And they say, hey, it's a half-ton truck. You're getting a half-ton. That's what it is. You know, yeah. a half a ton is 1,000 pounds. So 
I went with my daddy one time to get a big old black Angus bull and a 54 Chevrolet pickup, <laughs> and it had an oak back end on it, you know, the factory-made yes, yep. counter mm-hmm. brand, and he had bull must have weighed, I don't know, 1,800 pounds right. or whatever. We rode, rode him up in the back of that truck and with all that mess <laughs> Carried him from Arkansas to up north. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, it would easily do it. Bobble. Yeah, easily yeah. do it. They, they were way over designed, but they just not anymore. So, no, I just thought it'd be interesting. All right, Herb. Thanks, Carl, right. man. Bye. Bye bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Baltimore fight, we'd love to have you. And we've got James been patiently holding. Good morning, James. Good morning. I've got a question about a Toyota Supra. Okay. Uh huh. It's like a mid 80s version. Mechanic is selling it. Needs a paint job. Body's in real good shape. It's got all the fluids are changed. It has new fuel pump. Uh, runs good. Just needs a battery and some paint job. He's asking two thousand dollars for it. Like about an eighty-four, eighty-five. I'm not sure exactly. Mm-hmm. For the Supra, two thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean, it just depends on what you want to do, what you intend to do with it. The problem is you got a very, very old car. It's getting to a point where you can't get parts. Even from Toyota, there's certain parts you're not going to be able to get for it. So, and it's not like the old cars, like a 55 Chevrolet, where you can make any part right. you need it. You're going to get to a point where there's stuff you, you need that you can't get. So if it's just something you want as a toy and you're just going to tinker around with it and you know what it is and you don't mind spending a bunch of money, that's fine if you like it. But as far as buying it for reliable transportation, I wouldn't do it. Oh, okay. Well, I've got two other cars that are reliable. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you yeah. just want it for a toy, it's just something you just like. Tinker with. Tinker with. Yeah. yeah, sure. I mean, I don't see any okay. reason. Right. Okay, well, thanks. I appreciate the, uh, the pitch. All right, James. Thanks, man. All right, take care. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Let's see, we have got Steve online. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. My situation is similar to the previous gentleman. Okay. I have a 99 Dodge Ram 3500, mm-hmm. and seat belts are locked up. Took to a local repair shop. They said the seat belt control module is bad. Okay. So we started looking for the part. Mm-hmm. I found one in Oklahoma. Got excited. The guy said, oh, no, sorry, I can't give it to you. The gentleman who ordered it has been waiting about six months for this part. Oh, goodness. So do you have any ideas? Can these be repaired? or? It's possible. <clears throat> most likely not, though, because most people do not want to fool with seatbelt modules because of liability. Right. And as if they repair it, and there were a collision, and it did not work, they couldn't afford the liability. It's just not enough money they can charge you to repair it to assume the liability for the most part. I mean, what I have done on a lot of obsolete stuff like that is if you can get the dealer to give you the original part number that was on the part, go to something like Google and just type that part number in and click it and see what comes up. You may be able to find a used one somewhere. Fortunately, on a 99 model, it doesn't have to be programmed, so you, if you can find a used one, it ought to bolt right in. I know we've run across that issue with that module before where we weren't able to find them, but that would be the easiest way to try to find it. Just get the part number, type that in, and, and see what pops up. And if anybody were rebuilding or if somebody has some new old stock sitting somewhere, it's probably going to be listed by the part mm-hmm. number. So that's always been my best way to find stuff like that. Yeah, I've got the part number. I've been searching on the Internet all over the nation. Yeah, and nothing. Like I said, I found one dealer, I mean, one part online, and he said, oh, no, we sold that one. But yeah. we, we see there's one in Oklahoma. Right. So I called the dealership in Oklahoma and said, yeah, yeah I've got one it. on the. <laughs> yeah, that's frustrating. I've had that happen to me, too, where they've been holding it for somebody, and, I mean, they just won't sell it to you. But, I mean, that's all you can really do. I mean, fortunately – 
you can drive the truck without airbag. It's just the light's going to be on, but, I mean, it's not going to stop the truck from going. As long as you wear your seatbelt, you'll be okay. I mean, it's aggravating, but that's just the world we live in, and that's getting more and more and more every single day because the newer cars have modules that the car will not run without that are going obsolete real fast. So just kind of world we live in now. Yeah, I saw some videos on how to bypass it. Have you done any of that, and what do you think about that? Well, I mean, there's no sense bypassing it. It's bypassed anyway if the light's right. on. I mean, it's just not it's operating. Not it's just the light's going to be on. And if you turn that light off by any other means, and if somebody were to get injured, they're going to always say, hey, that light wasn't on. I didn't know this vehicle did. Let's say you got a passenger in your vehicle. You get in a wreck. And airbag. airbag doesn't deploy. You may bring yourself into a lawsuit. I mean, better off just leave light on. At least that way people have a warning. Hey, this system's not working. Wear your seatbelt. Actually, the seatbelts don't even work. They're locked. Yeah, the seatbelt themselves are locked? Yes. And they said the module's causing that? Yeah, those seatbelts are locked. And they were, it was strange. Sometimes they would work and sometimes they won't. And it's not one, it's both at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that the module could make the seatbelts lock. It sends a signal that locks them, but once they lock, that's it. Yeah. I mean, once that charge deploys, I would want to be certain that that's not a seatbelt retractor problem. Did they both go out at exactly the same time? Yes. And this has happened. I mean, it's strange. I guess it's possible. You put it in the trunk one time and the seatbelts work. Yeah, yeah. You get in the next time and don't work. And any time they don't work, it's most of them. Any time they do work, it's most yeah. of them. Yeah. Have you tried just unplugging the wire off the tensioner and see what happens? Unplug the wire off of what, Off sir? the tensioners. That's where your seatbelts retract, yeah. There's a wire okay. that goes to the back Yeah, of you it. may just try unplugging them and see. Now, the default may be locked. It may have to have a signal to unlock. I mean, it just depends on how it's wired. Some of them, the default is going to be locked. You know, right. it, when it loses a signal, it locks. Other ones, when it loses a signal, it unlocks. So it just depends on how that particular one is wired. If you unplug it and it just stays locked, then you can just plug it back in. That's not going to help, obviously. But, no, I, I've and never tried to bypass that one. That plug is at the base of the seat belt? Somewhere, wherever. If you take the seat belt retractor out, there's going to be a wire coming from it. It's going to have a connector somewhere in it. It might be right at the retractor. It might, it might be a, be a foot down, down the line. line somewhere. But there will be a connector somewhere where you can unplug it just as a test procedure and see what happens. Right. I'm sure there is a way that you could disable it, but, again, you're getting into that area of liability there. Right. I mean, and another thing you could do, of course, they do make universal seat belts, or you could even get a seat belt out of something else. I mean, pretty much all of them have a single bolt going through them, holds them to the floor. It wouldn't be pretty, but you could probably get something that would at least work and, right. and, just, and just do away with the module, just, you know, the airbag light's going to probably stay on, but you could probably get something that would retract and work and then still click in and lock. Right. Which right. at least makes the vehicle safe to drive. Okay, sir. All well, Thanks for the info. Yes, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number if you want to part of the automotive hour. That's getting to be a bigger and bigger and bigger issue with it really is. parts being obsoleted. And, of course, the manufacturers are in the business of selling cars. Right. By whatever means they can. And with, I don't know, what, 20, 25 manufacturers in the market now. There's a lot of competition. A lot of competition, and cars are very expensive. So and people don't necessarily want to just go trade in a six- or seven-year-old car that's still running fine. Right. But you got a, you got a problem like, let's just use our last caller as an example. That year vehicle, you could probably go to a junkyard if you could find another one and pull the module out, mm -hmm. plug it into that truck, and go on about your business, right. and it would work. If you but could do that. nowadays... When you take a module out, when, right. when when you have a module go down, when you get another one, mm -hmm. 
you have to have it programmed to your vehicle. Which is a one-time shot. That's right. So you cannot take the module out of a used vehicle, right. a wrecked one, and put into another vehicle. Right. Because what happens is it won't recognize it because well, it won't allow you to program it. It's already been programmed it can only to the program one vehicle when it's new. And when it's new, it's in an open loop that allows you to get in and put the data in there. Once it's entered, that's it. It's sealed. Right. You can't get back into it. And then the kind bigger, like an odometer setting. You know, when it was new, they could program it to zero, but then once it's put in there, it can't be programmed. It's done. You, right. You it's can't access out. it. It's locked, locked out. out. And more and more and more modules are that way. They have, like, an IP address. It recognizes their position in the network. They look at the VIN number or whatever, and they compare it, and all the modules have to have the same part number on them or the same yes. VIN number on them. And if some of them, if it sees an odd module out there, it'll lock the entire network down. Right. So you got to be very, 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 very careful trying to do that because you just say, well, I'll try it and see. Yeah, try it and see is going to cost a lot of You, you lot may of end cheese. up locking the PCM out or something, and then you got to buy a PCM and that module. And if they've been discontinued. Right. Then you've got a big paperweight. Yeah, yeah. More and more and more, that, that's kind of, that's being a problem. So let's go back to the phone lines with Donnie. Good morning, Donnie. Uh, good morning, fellas. Yes, good morning. sir. Look, I have a 1990 GMC Jimmy S15. Yes, sir. With a 4.3 V6. Uh-huh. And what I'm doing, I'm, I'm, I'm taking it apart to get the heads redone. Okay. Because I was getting oil on the plugs. And in doing so, I'm taking the lifters out to clean out the hole the lifters goes in. Mm-hmm. And I noticed on the side of the lifters, there's like a little hole on one side. Yes, sir. Does it matter which position that no, hole sir. is in when you put them back? No, sir. That lifter rotates constantly. Okay. In other words, the bottom of a good lifter is slightly rounded. Right. It's not, it's flat, not like flat. you would think. And the edge of that camshaft is cut at a slight angle. And what happens by that rounded surface touching that point on that, that angle on that lobe, it causes the lifter to rotate constantly, which causes the push rise to rotate, which causes everything to wear a lot easier. It doesn't wear as much by rotating. In other words, if it sat there and just slid flat in one position, it would wear out a lot faster. Okay. But, no, you can put them in any position. Now, you do want to put the same lifter back in the same exact spot. You don't want to mix them up. Well, yeah, I did one at a time. Yeah, because they're, they're all worn to that cam lobe, and if you start mixing them up, you can end up with some big problems. Okay. One other question is, looking at the cylinders, Kristen, you have this little groove that's wore at the top. Is it good just to get that out of there or just leave it in? No, just leave it alone. That's where the rings travel. See, the that's rings are stop. down on the piston about a, about five sixteenths of an inch or so, three-eighths of an inch. And so where the ring rides in the cylinder is what wears. That little groove at the top is the part that's unworn. That's the original cylinder wall. It's just worn below it. That's what leaves that little ridge. Now, if the ridge is excessive, it means you've got excessive wear in the cylinders, and probably putting heads on is not going to help you. You're going to end up with other problems. But I would just leave that alone if you weren't going into the bottom end. Okay. And let me just say, I've heard you all talk about maintenance. Mm-hmm. And I got a rude awakening when I took that took those heads off, mm-hmm. or actually when I took the intake off, mm-hmm. and I guess I could just blame myself for that, but right about maintenance, oh, because, yeah. I mean, it all was like mud. Yeah, yep. yeah, it doesn't take much, and, you know, if you follow the manufacturer's recommendation, you're going to end up with that problem, because, man, what they're given as a recommendation for the, for most people is going to be way, way blue sky, I mean, to the point of damaging the vehicle. I mean, I never go by mileage rating, I go by the way the car is operated. And if you're doing a lot of short trips, just forget what they're talking about because they're talking about ideal conditions. Okay. Well, I know what to do now once yeah. I get that all back together. That's right. Uh, you, you'll never save enough money on all changes to pay for one repair. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fellas. I appreciate it. All righty. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Let's see. We yeah, take, we'll give it a shot. 
We've got to take one more little break here. We got time for another call or yeah, he said we can catch another call. All we right. gotta go to the phone lines with Joe. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. I have a nineteen ninety nine Chevy Express van. Uh huh. It starts up right away, it's first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. No problem. Doesn't start with fuel or anything. Try to start it ten minutes later, it's gonna start unless you pour gas in it. Like, you know, it's got a fuel pump problem, which is uh, you know, kind of like the opposite of what I expected fuel problem. Yeah, it's probably not gonna be a fuel pump problem. More likely that's gonna be like the injectors are bleeding down and flooding the engine. That's, that's, so, that's gonna have central port injection on it, and most likely the regulator on that central port injection is gone bad and it's flooding gas. When it sits all night, it gas evaporates, so it cranks right up. You run it 10 minutes, it dumps a bunch of extra gas in that intake, and so when you go to crank it, it's like it's flooded. It's got to clear all out before it starts, so it's going to and then eventually start. That would be far well, more man. likely than a fuel pump. Yeah, well, I had a guy that he put a he put a pressure gauge on it, mm-hmm. and he said when the pressure was right, it started up, and when it was low, well, yeah. it was like this. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. What's that, what's that what's doesn't tell you anything. Better. That's just like saying your temperature is normal, so you can't be sick. I mean, you might be eating completely up with brain cancer and have your temperature normal. The pressure is going to drop if the regulator is leaking into the intake. Right. So you, right. you can run a test, but you got to know how to interpret the test. Just run a test doesn't okay. do any good because the pressure is going to drop if the pump's bad, and it's also going to drop if, if the, the regulator is leaking into the intake. It's also going to drop if the fuel filter is not installed right. I mean, all kind of things can make pressure drop. You can't just take a test and say, well, it's doing this, so that's this. Okay. It's misinterpreting test results. Okay, so it's not the fuel pump. I'm not saying it's no. not the fuel pump. I'm saying it's not very likely the fuel pump. It's more likely you need to do more testing or get somebody knows to doing the check it for you. Yeah. Okay. All right. Then, all right. Uh, thank you very much. All right, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. We've got to take one more quick little break. Joe, if you hold on, you'll be straight up after the break. Oh, I had a bad dream the other night. Can't be worse than mine. I was buried up to my neck in the desert, surrounded by an army of prairie dogs, and their leader rides up. Rides? Yep. It's Yule Brenner, and he orders me to eat this huge mound of candy corn. So all the prairie dogs line up and feed it to me piece by piece. I'll never look at that Halloween confectionery the same again. What about you? Well, I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco, and my car left me stranded on I-10. Now that's scary. Agco Automotive is here with the best way to keep up with car maintenance. Get our annual general inspection. You pick the month, we check out your vehicle and recommend any maintenance you may need, which can save you costly repairs down the road. That was a freaky dream. Were you on medication, or did you eat anything strange? Uh, yeah. I actually ate a whole bag of candy corn left over from Halloween. 2014. Oh. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan from Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. And we've got Joe's been patient holding. Good morning, Joe. Hey, Louis, how you doing? Doing great. I have a 2010 Chevy HHR. Mm hmm. On the front wheel, it sounded like hear like a roaring coming from the front. Could that be the wheel batteries going bad? Could be. Very yes, possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fairly common on, particularly with all the high water we've had in the area, Joe. If you drove through water, I say deep, six, eight inches deep, it could very easily get past the seal, and you're not. it's not going to occur right away, but two to six months later is when you can start hearing the noise. Mm-hmm. If you want to kind of isolate it out, one thing I find works pretty well, get on a stretch of kind of abandoned road that's fairly smooth, 
and just drive along with it making a noise and kind of sharply cut your wheel left and cut your wheel right and see if it changes. Because usually a front wheel bearing will change. Now, I have been fooled because sometimes the, the inner rear. part of the bearing will be bad and it won't change. And sometimes the rear will change. So it's not a hard and fast rule. It's just an indication. But if you kind of gently cut nudge wheel either way and the noise change, maybe it gets quieter one way and louder the other way, likely you're going to be into one of the front wheel bearings. Now, the only way to tell which one it is is either with something like we got at the shop where you hook microphones under the car and go drive it, or sometimes you can jack it up and you'll pick up some slack in it or you'll be able to hear it just turning it without load on it. But a lot of times you can't hear it when you just jack it up because there's no load on it. Now, again, fortunately, both front wheel bearings are the same on that truck. So if you change the wrong one, you could always take that one, which is good because the other one's bad, and put it on the other side. And you end up with the same thing. Providing it's a bolt on. Yeah. It's, I'm not real sure about the HHR. HHR's I think it bolt, is. I think I got three bolts holding it to the spindle, yeah, spindle. and then the big, right. yeah. yeah. But let me ask you this. I didn't really start noticing until I changed the rotaries and the brake shoes on this car. Would that have an effect on it? It's possible. Maybe. I mean, who knows? Anything's possible because it does bolt right to it. And, I mean, maybe it's just a coincidence because you just did some work on it. You were looking for things more. You know, I know I have done that. Even with my own car, I do some work on it, and then I go drive it, and I hear something that I didn't hear before, and then when I check, it's nothing related to that. And it's just I wasn't paying as close particular attention as I am after I did a repair. So, I mean, but, yeah, you do take the rotor off the bearing. That's the bearing that the rotor and all is on, so it is possible. I mean, does braking affect the noise at all? No. Uh Applying or releasing the brake doesn't affect it? No. It really kind of sounds like a wheel bearing to me, Joe, and, I mean, who knows, maybe it was on the verge of going out, and when you took it apart, something moved. You know, maybe it's a coincidence. It's really kind of hard to say without looking at it, but if braking doesn't affect it, very likely it's not going to be anything in the brakes. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right, man. Okay. All right, Joe. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. And, you know, that's, I guess, a common thing. I know we get customers a lot of times, you will do some work on their car, and two or three weeks later, something will occur. Uh-huh. Well, to them, it's like you, you must have caused this because yeah. you just worked on it. And, well, no, it's everything happens at some point. Sure. And it's kind of like when a person dies. Well, they never did that before either. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everything occurs at a time, and linear progression does not connote causality. Right. Now, certainly, if it is in the same area and similar to what it was doing before, that's where you would start looking. Sure. But you can't go off on a tangent and say, well, no, that's it because of this. It just doesn't work that way. It's sort of like the other gentleman we were speaking with about the fuel test, and he said, well, the fuel pressure's dropping, so he thinks fuel pump's bad. Uh-huh. Well, no, that doesn't mean that. That right. just means fuel pressure's dropping. And you've got to know how to interpret that. And you have to do some more testing to see which part is causing the drop because a leaking regulator will also make the fuel pressure drop just sure. like the fuel pump will. Sure. Any leak in the system is going to cause the pressure to drop. And the giveaway on that, to me, is he says it does it when, when it's hot. you, after a hot soak, and as you crank it up, let it run, cut it off, then it's hard to start. Generally, a fuel pump will be just the opposite. Exactly. It'll be hard when it's cold and then do okay after you run it, it up. Hey, we got to get on out of here. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening every single week on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service and... Find the written review and fill it out for us. There you go. Really wish you would. It would move us up in the rankings so more people can hear us. We can keep on doing the show. Old brain's still on Mardi Gras mush there, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.